Now we're getting into an intense section of Scripture here, Revelation chapter 6. Just a review for every. but chapter 1 gives us a revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, we see the Lord in the heavens and who He is, and He reveals seven things about Himself that are awesome. And then in chapters 2 and 3, He starts speaking to the church. And He gives them seven letters to seven churches. And he starts talking to them. And obviously, we learned a lot about that stuff. When the Lord speaks to us, some of the things he says, I know your works. He knows what we're doing. Some things are great. Some things need help, you know? It's like when I'm up here playing. You know, I'll hear something and say, oh, you know, thank you, Lord, for doing that. You know, this is awesome. But Matt, you missed the chord. You know? (laughs) Really good, Matt. So, uh, you know, and it's not like the Lord's you know, crazy like that. But I'm just saying for us, though, in our hearts, you know, the Lord looks at our hearts and says, you know what, you're awesome, great at doing this stuff. However, this, I have this against you. And our tendency as, as people is to say, because we've done all these good things, that the bad doesn't matter. We try to balance them out. And as a church, we say, we're so good in all these wonderful things that we do that we don't need to be changed in this one area. Amen? And so we got to just... Let the Lord, Matt needs to let the Lord come in his heart and say, yeah, you might be doing all these wonderful things to the Lord, but Matt, your attitude stinks on Monday. What? You know? But God, don't you know all the, yes, I know your works, Matt, but I have this against you. Let's work on that. And so the purpose of the scriptures as we open it up is to reveal the intents of our heart to show us what's going on or inner workings. You ever come across passages of Scripture and you go, no, that's not for me. You know, I mean, this morning on forgiveness, when, when Doug was speaking and pulling out all these passages, how many of you have relationships that you just need to get right? Okay, three of you, four. Okay, that's good. <laughs> all of us, right? I mean, it's just hitting, and I, I know that the Lord was working. Having talked to so many of you, I'm like, well, that's for all of them. I know that. <laughs> Boy, so you guys got to get to work on that, all right? Start with forgiving me. No, it's good. <laughs> Obviously, right? It's amazing when we open the Word of God. And so 3 and 4 is dealing with the church. Now chapter 4, verse 1, it all shifts to the third section. It says, And after this I looked, and before me was a door standing open heaven, and a voice I had heard the first speaking to me like a trumpet from chapter 1 said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place of this. And I believe it is this time, at this point, that the church is, boom, brought up to heaven. Because everything shifts at this point. And now it becomes very Jewish. No longer talking, the church isn't even mentioned you know, pretty much for the rest of, of, the, of the time until chapter like 20. It's just gone. And I believe once again the Lord is dealing with the nation of Israel. Now, most people in Christendom believe that Israel is done for. There's nothing to do with uh, Israel again. I, I hold to that God is, still has his plan with Israel. If you read in Romans chapter 8, 9, 10, 11... uh, Paul is getting into some pretty heavy stuff, and he's saying, listen, the reason that you know the gospel is because the the Jews rejected the gospel. They rejected Jesus. Because that, the gospel was given to you and to me. Amen? But he says, because of this, do you think I've I've cut them off forever? And he says, certainly not. I'm going to go take care of them. I'm going to show mercy upon them, just as because of their rebellion, mercy was shown upon you. 
you know, I'm going to show mercy upon them. And it's just, it's just an amazing thing. But that's, a, that's, a, that's another study. Romans, right? But to know that I believe we're, we're now entering with uh, the last seven years of, of dealing with the Jewish nation. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But we're up here in the throne room of heaven. We've been transferred up into this place. And you've got the 24 elders, which I believe is representative of the church. As you look at these guys, several things about the elders. Some say they're angels, but in the next few verses it says, no, the angels were with the 24 elders. So there's a distinction between these people. Now, could this be the saints of all time? It could be. Again, you study the scriptures, open them up before the Lord, and, and find out what God is teaching you. This is one man's opinion I've studied, I've read, but far be it from me that I am the authority on everything. Amen? You go, you go to the scriptures, and you search them, and you pray them out. But I believe these are the 24 elders and representative of the church. You see they're talking about they're clothed in white. They have crowns. They've been given to rule with him. And these are all the things that Jesus was just promising to the churches in the past. So now in chapter 5, there's this big scene. It says, then the, then the scroll of the Lamb. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne... With a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break this thing? Who's able to open it? And no one in all creation is able to open this. We talked about what that might be. My, I hold to that it, it's probably the title deed to the earth. Regardless of what you think, it's definitely about what's going to happen next. God's will concerning the rest of the world. And he's about to reveal it. What's happening next to his people? No one on earth is able to open this. No one except for the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. He's able to break the seals. He alone is worthy. And he's known as the Redeemer. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men of God. He's the Redeemer. It cost him something to buy you from your sin in death, to buy Matt from his sin in death. It cost the precious blood of Jesus Christ. When he was poured out upon the cross, that was, he was paying for us, paying for the wicked that we've done and will do. He bought us. He alone is worthy. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests and to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. That's us. Praise the Lord. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. So hundreds of millions, right? They encircle the throne, the living creatures and the elders. So we've got the angels. We've got these four living creatures that are kind of, like I mentioned something out of He-Man. We were talking about that, Mitch. That was funny. Um, but they've got these, you know, these, these six wings, and, and they've got four faces, four different ones, and, and they're just majestic creatures, and they cry out, holy, 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 day and night. So, I mean, talk about, when we get, when we get transferred to the throne room of heaven, it's going to be a ha. You know what I mean? It's like chupacabra crazy, you know? It's going crazy there. There's just so many weird things going on. It's just going to be foreign to us. And they're crying out. And the creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice, they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. We just sang that. 
Then I heard every creature in heaven, on earth and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them, singing to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. So that's at the end of chapter 5. And now we're at chapter 6. He's holding the scroll. He's going to start to bust that puppy open, and we're going to read about what it is. And I watched. As the Lamb opened the first of seven seals. Number seven again, wonderful. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a loud voice like thunder, come or go forth. And I looked. That word come could be translated go forth. It's like proceed. I looked and there before me, (coughs) excuse me, was a white horse and its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Now, some think that they, because he's on a white horse, this is Jesus. Jesus, yes, he's on a white horse in chapter 19 uh, in, in verse 11, verse 6. But Jesus, no, pay attention there. He doesn't hold a bow. He has a sword. Jesus holds a sword. And, and notice what company this is in. It gets war, famine, pestilence. I'm sorry, when Jesus comes... He's not bringing, uh, you know, all those things aren't going to precede him. We're going to have peace on earth. He's going to come back and set things straight. I don't think this is, is Jesus. There's another writer in, in, the, in the book of uh, Genesis who has a bow. And, uh, you know, and his name was Nimrod, the ruler of Babylon, you know. And I don't think Jesus was Nimrod. Nimrod was Nimrod. This writer was given a crown. He was given authority. From whom? I think if we skip forward to Revelation chapter 13, we can kind of have a, a sense of it. Re- I'll read it for you. Revelation 13, one says, The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea, and it had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horn, and, and on each of its head a blasphemous name. And on each had a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth and that of a lion. We'll talk about this stuff when we get to 13, okay? So I know you want to know what all that stuff is. But the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. The dragon gave the beast his authority and his throne, this rulership. And one of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but that fatal wound had been healed, and the whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. We'll talk about that later. But people worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? And so I believe that we are referencing the Antichrist, or what we call the Antichrist. He rode out, and the dragon was obviously Satan. He rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest, subduing the world under his authority. And if we keep reading, we're going to see what follows his conquest. War, death, famine, joy. I'm sorry, but I do not believe this is uh, Jesus, as uh, many commentators you know, think. And when you think about it, this guy who's coming out, well, this situation, this conquest, this ruler that's, that's being released right away as the first kind of beginning of judgment. He is, I believe, he's, he's, the, he's the Antichrist. And, and Antichrist means instead of Christ, a false Messiah. A false Messiah. One that comes instead of. What were the Jews looking for when the Messiah came? 
They're looking for someone to settle the score, someone to take up their cause, someone to, to make it happen, make peace. Even the disciples had difficult with this time with this, didn't they? They're having a real hard time. Jesus kept on trying to tell them, no, no, second time, I'm going to come back on a horse and clean house. But first time, I'm coming in on a donkey. I'm bringing peace. I'm a suffering servant. But the second time, he's going to come back later in 19 at the end of the whole story and come and clean house. But in, in chapter 19. But, you know, when I, was, when I was in Israel in 2000, it was amazing. We had this Jewish tour guide, and he just had an amazing grasp of Scripture, Old and New Testament. Now, the Jews normally call to just the Torah, the Old Testament, but he knew the New Testament because he was a tour guide. And so he'd answer all these things, and he knew the prophecies and all this type of stuff. And, and we'd say, well, man, I mean, how could, you, how could you see this and not believe that Jesus isn't the Messiah? He's on, no, the Messiah is going to bring peace. Messiah is going to bring priests, and he's just looking. The nation of Israel, even today, is just looking for someone to broker peace in this whole situation they're going. Someone who's going to straighten things out. It's kind of interesting. Everybody's waiting for an imam. Everybody's waiting for the answer. And I wonder what kind of powerful influence this person will have when he comes upon the world. And this is exactly kind of what the world is waiting for. So as I understand it, uh, many, uh, uh, the understanding of, of many is that this writer is basically the, the, on the white horse is the Antichrist, refers to the Antichrist, the one who is an imposter. And he's going to come, as the scriptures talk about, and he will come as an imposter of Jesus Christ, just like Jesus, and he will do miracles and signs and wonders. And also, like Jesus, these works will point to uh, the Antichrist's father, <laughs> so to speak, who is the devil, basically. You know, uh, there's a false trinity, and, you know, as we'll read about a little bit later, but you've got Satan setting up the Antichrist, and the Antichrist basically draws worship to Satan. It's indirectly. It says it right there in Scripture. It's part of uh, kind of an interesting person. But I think it's important to remember... Uh, about when this all happens. It's happening right at the beginning. Now, I know I'm going to read something that seems a little bit controversial to some. Take it and go through it. Uh, but in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, it talks about 77s. How many know about the 69, 70 weeks of Daniel? Yeah, kind of interesting stuff. But read this for, for what it says, and we'll kind of, we'll kind of uh, just give this as a little... Um, illustration as to when this Antichrist is going to show up on the scene. Daniel 9.24, 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish. Transgression to put, I'm sorry, to finish transgression and to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this, that from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. And it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. And after the sixty-two sevens, now you're wondering what the sixty-two sevens are. Just, just throw it away for a second. He's, Daniel's prophesying a, a big time before. He's saying, listen, this is how much time you have done until... Israel is going to be wrapped up, then the Holy One is going to be enthroned in Jerusalem. 
But he goes into this thing, he tells him, this is how long, and he goes, uh, and he says, from the time the word goes out to restore the Jerusalem, there's going to be a certain amount of time. And he says, after the 62 sevens, in other words, after 69 weeks, whatever weeks are, okay, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. So we know when that is in history. Jesus, he's, whatever we, whatever, however we add the numbers and do all that stuff, we know when, when Jesus died, that was the 69th week that Daniel's talking about here. It says, after 62 sevens, he's obviously talking about the seven and the 62, which is 69. I know this is hard. The anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. And so the seven and 62 weeks ended. The 69 weeks prophesied in Israel ended when Jesus died on the cross, when he was cut. Now, there's 70 weeks he talks about because in the next verse, it says, uh, it says, uh, sorry, the people, the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. This is continuing reading in Daniel. The end will come like a flood and war will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. And this is verse 27 of, of Daniel 9. It says, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offerings. And at, the, and at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out upon him. Now, this last seven is, has not happened yet. And many believe, and I hold to it as well, that this last seven is the tribulation period, the seven-year period where the Antichrist... And so I believe we're kind of just stuck in between the 69th and 70th week, which is where we are, the age of the church. Now, it goes in, and Paul says, up until Jesus' death on the cross, God had worked through who? To bring about him, to glorify himself. Who, who, who was his main thing? Was it the church? What was before the church? Who was God working through? What's the whole Old Testament about? Israel. God's been working through Israel. When the Messiah got cut off, God's plan shifts. God's plan shifts. Paul says in Romans chapter 11, 25, and we talked about this a little bit earlier. I don't want you to be ignorant of this ministry, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. So in that whole context, Israel's hearts, when they rejected Christ, became hardened. And because of that, they're no longer accepted. The gospel began to go to the Gentiles, which is us. And the church is born. In the last 2,000 years, the Gentiles, non-Jews, have been coming to Jesus. Now, it doesn't say all Jews will be hardened. It says a good portion of them. There are Messianic Jews, people who are coming to Jesus who are Jews today. But in general, there's just this hardening of their hearts. And it's amazing. Like I was talking to this tour guide. How could you not see that? I mean, it's just amazing. And our hearts were just hardened towards the gospel. No, there's no way. And because of that, unfortunately for them, but fortunately for us, the gospel is now given to the Gentiles. So for the last 2,000 years, we've been doing that. And so we're that mystery that Paul's been talking about in Ephesians chapter 3. He talks about, but, but one day soon the fullness of the Gentiles will be complete. And God's going to turn his attention back to the nation of Israel. So as we begin to open this scroll, I believe that the church has been raptured. 
taken up and is represented by the 24 elders and clothed in white and given crowns and all the other things promised in Revelation 2 and 3. And so the first order of business in the last, is the last seven years of the tribulation is to reveal the man of sin. The first thing that's going to come on the sea is the Antichrist. And uh, there's other verses that talk about that. I don't have time to get in all of it right now. But the Antichrist, the man with the bow, the guy on the white horse, is going to be busting the scene. So he's busting out the first thing, and the first person on the scene is the Antichrist, the person who's going to broker this peace deal that we'll talk about. Now, when the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. The second seal brings war and conflict. Notice this reader took peace from the earth. He took. He was given power to take peace from the earth. You know, it doesn't need to stir up trouble. You just need to take away God's peace. And what happens? Men just love to get along, don't we? This land is my land. It isn't your land, right? There's no peace apart from him. We are, we, we are people who are drawn towards war. We're drawn towards conflict. We're drawn towards death and killing and di- fighting and, and division. Now, I'm no dove, okay? I am a hawk, kind of, but, but it, it's true. We're, we're pulled towards that. I mean, the U.S. spent $683.7 billion on the military in fiscal 2010. Now, that's hard to, to grasp. That's a bunch of dollars, right? The count to one billion, if you counted uh, one, you know, averaging one number per second, it would take you 31 years, 259 days, one hour, 46 minutes, and 40 seconds to count to a billion. That's just one billion. Now, try that 680-something. So that's, a lot of, that's a lot of money. This writer was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. And boy, we we're getting pretty good at that. When the Antichrist declares himself to be God and the Holy of Holies, the abomination that causes desolation that Daniel spoke of, that Jesus spoke of, look out in that middle of that three and a half year period, look out. All hell is going to break loose on the earth. Conflict is coming. Peace is taken away. In verse 5, when the Lamb opened the third seal, <clears throat> living creatures, uh, I heard the living creatures say, come, or go, right? Uh, I looked, and there before me was a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And then I heard what sounded like a voice coming from the four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wage, and six pounds of barley for a day's wage. And don't damage the oil and the wine. You know, when, when there's war and conflict, famine, it follows. You know, black in Scripture sometimes associated with famine, like in Lamentations 5, verse 10. The scales illustrate scarcity of food, to having to weigh your daily rations. You know, to eat, food, uh, to eat bread by, by weight is a Jewish term, which means and it's, it's, it's bad out there. The famine will be so bad it will take a day's wage for two pounds of wheat or six pounds of barley, which was horse food. That's a lot. You know, so if you plan to be in the tribulation, I suggest you 
forget your gold and go into wheat and barley, right? Notice that it says, and do not damage the oil and wine. Don't damage the oil and wine. Oil and wine could be a clue that this famine could be very uh, well instigated by politics, many think. You know, that the rich will be rich and the poor will be poor. That somehow commodities will be available to those who have and the ones who don't have, they'll definitely not be available. Don't, you know, I was just thinking it's amazing how much we spend on developing nations and, and giving them food, but it's also amazing how much money that money and the, that aid doesn't get to where it's supposed to go because of corrupt governments. I mean, in corrupt situations. I think right now even in Somalia they were talking about... Uh, the Shabab Islamist insurgent group, which controls much of southern Somalia, is blocking starving people from, the flee- from fleeing the country. And a clip of the article that I read out of the New York Times by Jeffrey uh, Gentleman uh, says, The group is widely blamed for causing a famine in Somalia by forcing out many Western aid organizations, depriving drought victims of desperately needed food, and the situation is growing bleaker by the day, with tens of thousands of Somalis already dead, and more than 500,000 children on the brink of starvation. You know, just people in controlling things. I mean, we get bad. Nations get bad. It gets really horrible out there. So this could, and do not damage the oil and wine, could be a reference to, you know, there's going to be commodities there, but they're going to be controlled. In verse 7, When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard in the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! And I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death and Hades, or Hell, was following close behind him. They were given the power over fourth of the earth to kill by sword, a fourth of the population of the earth to be killed by sword, famine and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. That's a lot of people. Let's just say the rapture happens, and let's just say one billion people go. You know, I think that's a pretty generous estimate, but one billion people. That leaves, what, six billion left or so? Or what, are we, what number are we at now? Seven billion right now? So six billion? So a quarter of those, math wizards, that's a lot. A lot of people. Gone. They were given the power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword and famine and plague. This last writer shows that there will be a tremendous death toll from this, what I believe, this, this bad dictatorship and the way the world's turning. Famine and other calamities are described by the three horsemen. Over the past century, the world has seen hundreds of millions killed by dictators, haven't we? You know, if you think of that, of dictators killing the war, killed by war and famine, Mao Zedong. Millions, gone. Stalin, gone. You know, we talk about Hitler. Those two guys made Hitler like he, like he was in kindergarten. You know what I mean? It was bad. Not diminishing the horribleness of, of the Holocaust. It was absolutely horrific. But millions upon millions of people have died in the last hundred years at the hands of dictators and wars and policies and, and all these types of things. Yet this is going to pale in comparison to the death toll coming in the wake of this ultimate dictator. No wonder Jesus said of the end times, you know, of this time for then. There will be great tribulation such as not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor shall ever be. 
man, it's going to be the worst it's ever been. So if we look at that and think, man, that's horrible. How horrible is this going to be? Poured out upon the earth. Horrible. When he opened the fifth seal, verse 9, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. And they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? And then each of them was given a white robe. And they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. And so the fifth seal was that of the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and their testimony that they had maintained. And they were crying out from under the altar and asking, how long, Lord, until you judge these people, until you avenge? They were slain for the word of God. It seems that these martyrs uh, possibly had been the ones that had died during the rule of the Antichrist. Or it could be just a a cross-section of the martyrs throughout all generations. I don't know. Needless to say, they're crying out from under the altar. And that's kind of a reference into Leviticus there. Chapter 4, 7. He shall pour the remaining blood at the base of the altar as a burnt offering. You know, these souls were under the altar, altar and it emphasized that their lifeblood was poured out as an offering to God. These people poured out their lives for the Lord. They gave the ultimate price, all they had. They're martyrs. Martyr means witness. You don't have to die to be a witness of Jesus Christ. But you might die because you are a witness. You know, people think, oh, you know, if I just go strap a bomb on myself and go do this act, it will redeem everything, or whatever their mindset is. Try living for Jesus Christ. That is the hardest thing in the world. To deny self and pick up your cross and follow Jesus, just like Jesus did for the Father. You know, are we martyrs in our daily lives? Are we witnesses? So if that day were to come, it's not really that big of a decision, is it? Even though it is. We've already died. We're already His. We're already following. We've already given. Not to take life lightly at all. Our lives are valuable. We don't just throw them away. But we're in a very amazing place in this country to where we don't have to suffer for our faith. Our brothers and sisters on the other side of the world have been martyred like crazy, like in the past hundred years. So many people have been killed for the faith right now, this morning. Your brothers and sisters are hurting. So is it the blood of those who would die during the Antichrist reign? I don't know. Is it the blood of the martyrs throughout the Sid trees? I don't know, but they're crying out. They're crying out to the Lord. How long? They're making their cry for vengeance. Lord, we want vengeance. We want justice. Now, we don't normally think of God's people crying out for vengeance, you know. Oh, Lord, forgive them, you know. But it's okay to cry out for things that God has promised. Amen? God tells them. You know, if you've been wronged in your life, it's hard. But make your cry to God. Don't go out and try to get it all done by yourself. Don't try to exact vengeance by yourself. You go to the Lord. It's better to cry out a million times to the Lord than it is for you to go act upon that. That's not your place. 
It's the Lord's place. He is the avenger of, our, of us. Don't take vengeance in your own hands. Wait a little while longer for God's timing. When God's people are persecuted, he's going to set it straight. How long, O oh Lord? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters were killed just as they had been. That's hard. That's a hard answer. Any more of us are going to die? Yeah, I'm waiting for those precious people to join you. And then when it's complete, I'll take care of you. When it's done, God will act. And I watched as he opened the sixth seal, and this is as far as we'll get today. There was a great earthquake, and the sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat's hair. The whole moon turned red, blood red, and the stars of the sky fell to earth as a fig drops from figs when it's shaken by a strong wig, uh, a wind. Uh, the heaven receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the king of kings, the princes, the generals, the, the rich, the mighty, and everyone, both slave and free, hid in caves among the rocks, and they called out to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. Who can withstand it? And so there's a giant earthquake. How many of you have experienced an earthquake? Hmm, you guys gave yourself away. Where are you from? <laughs> uh, you know, obviously I come from San Diego, and so that, that's a norm. I mean, and the, and the thing is, there's different types of earthquakes. There's jolting earthquakes, there's rolling earthquakes, there's, I mean, there's just different kinds. This one is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be global. It's going to rock the world. It's going to shake. You know, the one thing you think is solid is no longer solid. It's a weird feeling. There's no place that's safe. No place that's, that's safe. It's, it's a strange feeling to be in an earthquake. You just lose all sense of goodness. Earthquakes, they strike fear into you. You should try driving in one. That's really weird. It's, the sun gets blacked out and the moon's turned to blood. You know, how many of you around Mount St. Helens happen here? Kind of same thing. Fires in San Diego. Just the sky gets, gets totally blacked out and the, and the moon turns a weird red and all this type of stuff. Who knows if that's what the situation is. But this is what he's seeing will happen. Stars are going to look like they're falling from the earth. So will stars actually literally be falling? Are there asteroids, all this stuff? I don't know. Obviously, there, there, there is later in the other judgments. Some kind of Hale-Bob situation, maybe. And the heavens. The heavens are going to recede like a scroll. I find it interesting that we used to think space was just space. You know, I, I know. Hold on here. You know, space is space, but it actually has property. It has, it has dimensions. It can be bent. You know, we get string theory and all these types of quantum physics things. That uh, you know, It's just it's interesting that... The, the old guys in the Old Testament, they already knew that. Isaiah 64.1 says that, it, that the heavens can be do- torn. Psalm 102, verse 25, says it can be worn out like a garment. Hebrews 12.26 and Haggai 2.6 and Isaiah 13.3 says the heavens can be shaken. How could space be shaken? That's weird. In 2 Peter 3.12, it says that it will be burnt up. Revelation 6.14, we're reading right here, it says it will be slid apart or receded like a scroll. 
Hebrews 1.12 says the heavens can be rolled up like a mantle. And there are also about 12 different verses that say the heavens were stretched out. It's interesting how scientists are saying it's as if the heavens are stretched out as they're looking at the light and all these types of things. And it's like, well, no kidding. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. The kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, everybody's saying, man, they all called to the mountains of rocks, fall on us. This is the end here. From the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of the wrath has come. just want you to take a second and, and, and look at this. They're crying out. They're freaking out. Everybody in the earth, they're running for cover. And they're saying what? Fall upon us, rocks. They would rather die than face what they're seeing heavens being broken up and the Lamb of God staring at them. Sinful man, we don't want anything to do with the presence of God. They call to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can withstand it? And that's the question. Who can withstand the day of wrath? No one's going to withstand it. It's going to be thorough. It's going to be utterly complete. It's going to be devastating. Not one soul is going to be able to hide from it. Everything will be exposed. God will judge thoroughly those who have rejected Jesus Christ. There's only one escape. It's the Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. If you believe upon Him, you shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's God's desire for us today. And that's the message that this world needs to know. Yes, the message is God loves you, but hey, there's coming a day when this is all going to be brought to light. And there is someone on the throne and he will judge and he will judge righteously and it's not going to be good. Have you received his mercy? Have you received saving grace? People need that message. It's not very popular, is it? How do you like telling people? (laughs) God's going to smoke you, man. Seriously, and, I, and, and he did everything to try to, he even gave his own son for you. That's how much he doesn't want you to experience this wrath. But if you reject it, you're under condemnation already. There's no hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. He's the one who's going to keep us from the wrath of God. Why would God pour out his wrath upon you? He poured it out upon Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen? Father, we love you so much. 
man, I know there's so many different ways to look at different things. I'm trying to just bring it forward literally, God, and we ask that your spirit would just help us discern through all this and that we would know that you're showing us the big picture of what's happening. We would see that you are a righteous God and you are on the throne and you will judge sin. Lord, help us to be spotless. Help us to be found in Jesus. Help us to be found waiting for his return, busy about his business. Lord God, even today as we kind of just take some time and, you know, watch the Super Bowl or whatever we're going to do, Lord, be in the room, Father. Be present with us. Let's not rejoice with evil, but be sober. Help us to be salt and light. Whatever capacity you've given us, Lord, whatever faith, whatever faith you've given us, help us to shine. In the name of Jesus, amen.